Uh, good evening, folks, and welcome to episode. Jeez, oh, I should have looked this up. James, is this episode 16, 17? Yes. Yes, that's definitely. That's, or it might be the other one. That's not very helpful. Okay, cut, cut. <laughs> okay, hang Go on. Go with it. It's funny. It is funny. Okay. <laughs> no, it's this actually episode 16. There you go. All right, folks, welcome to episode 16 of the Canadian Wargamer podcast. James, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you? Good, good. That was a really natural uh, response to my uh, my cue there. Good for you for being awake. We're joined tonight by a really, okay. really uh, wonderful panel of Gronyards, and we're going to kick around the question, um, why are there so many darn Napoleonics rules? And uh, so joining us tonight, uh, in, in no particular order, but I'm going to start in the, the Les Etats Unis. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, Jim Ozarski. Jim is joining us tonight from Milwaukee. He is one of the hosts of the Armchair Dragoons podcast. He tells us that he has been uh, Napoleonics gaming since 1980. And he also has uh, a YouTube channel where he does amazing things with friends. The YouTube channel is just Jim Ozarski. Um, the Friday Night Fights feature where you can tune in and see massive battles fought on things like Tabletop Simulator. Uh, very, very entertaining. So, Jim, welcome to the podcast. No, a real pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, a friend of the podcast from uh, also from the States, Don Perrin. Don, you've been on before. Uh, Don's a re retired uh, Canadian Army uh, officer, has worked in the hobby in various capacities with some of the great giants. Uh, Don was telling us before we got started that uh, he was um, uh, Duke. Uh, sorry, what's Duke's last name? I can't remember. Uh, Zyfried. Duke Zyfried. Duke, Duke. Yeah, Duke Seyfried, right, of course, okay. Uncle Duke. Yeah, uh, or was that the character from Dunesbury? No, that's him. <laughs> or it might <laughs> yeah. be both, for all I know. <laughs> might be it might be both, but you made figures for him. Yes, indeed. Um, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, uh, figures for him, a lot, like piles and piles. And he's one of the legends of uh, North American Wargaming. Um, so that's, yeah, so that's, a, that's your claim to fame. And uh, you have also... We wanted to give you the credit for being the publisher, the last publisher of the Courier, but really you're the murderer of the Courier. We talked about that on a previous podcast, but Again you're. With that. <laughs> There's blood on your hands, my friend. Yeah, you are Courier, of course, was the voice of Napoleonic's Wargaming in North America. Of course, on the miniatures page already. Yeah, boo. <laughs> so, Don, welcome. And then Thank from uh, East Toronto, we're very, very happy to welcome Glenn Pierce. Uh, Glenn is the. Um, the mastermind behind the Napoleonic Miniatures Wargame Society of Toronto, and he's... Are you live from your games basement, uh, Glenn? Uh, no, I'm uh, live from the attic at the moment. Live from the attic. I've had the, the pleasure... The Was there a jazz set there? Yeah. Live from the attic? Live from the attic. Great Napoleonics marches with Glenn Pierce. Yeah. <laughs> yes. coming, coming soon. Saxophone. Yeah. <laughs> I've had but the Jeff pleasure... Rubeck played there, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, take five, take ten, take the Imperial Guard. Um, I've had the pleasure of gaming in your basement uh, before you do amazing things in small scale. Uh, Glenn's also uh, a rules writer, and in 2017, Bacchus published his uh, Ruse de Guerre uh, rules as part of their Polemus series. And uh, Glenn was telling us before we started that uh, Ruse de Guerre started life. Do I have this right, Glenn, as, a, as an American War of Independence? Rules right. That is, in fact, a bit of a toolkit that you can use for all sorts of things. Yeah, it was the only period that they were missing in their range, so that was the mandate yeah. originally. 
originally, but uh, it, it can be used for all sorts of things. And I have yes. um, been in your basement using it for Napoleonic rules. So that's there. correct. Yes. We, and we're uh, hoping, sorry, go ahead, Glenn. Yeah. And, and we expanded it to include the uh, French and Indian War and the War of 1812 because we found very little differences in the actual warfare itself. So they were bundled together all in the, under the one package, Bruce de Guerre. And then, of course, we realized that the War of 1812 was just the Napoleonic War. So mm -hmm. we use it for Napoleonics as well. And uh, because it is a versatile uh, set of rules with a lot of open ends that you can put stuff on, we also use it for the American Civil War. And uh, how we refine it is whoever posts the battle or wants to play a game of some sort, if they see anything that applies to their scenario, it's not in the rules, well, then they write it up as a scenario only rule. Hmm. And so that way, when the members come, they're not forced to learn a new rule set every week you change periods. Yeah. So it's kind of a, a club set of rules. That's how it's evolved now. Yeah. And that's really part of, you're putting your finger early on part of the thing that we're going to discuss tonight. So we'll come back to that for sure. And we're hoping to be joined uh, by Tom Castanos uh, from Texas. Uh, Tom is one of the three guys who does the uh, Anything But A One podcast, and Tom has been doing 15 mil Napoleonic gaming forever. So we're hoping that he'll drop in. So, gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, and then, of course, there's James, James, whose Napoleonic resume is. Yeah. James, when, when was your first, uh, when did you buy your first Napoleonic figures? Oh, crumbies. Um well, I my I, I didn't buy them. I got them for Christmas. Uh, it was I was like eight, uh -huh. and I opened this box under the tree, and it had all these smaller boxes of Airfix Battle of Waterloo figures in it. And it was like, ah, this is amazing! And uh, I was off. You were off. Yeah, and then once I started figuring out this whole wargaming thing, it was like, you know, those are the guys I started painting up and using the, uh, you know, and I bought Tricolor out of the the uh, mail order section of Wargamers Digest, um, which was a great magazine. And, um, yeah, and then I started, you know, I found Charles Grant's Charge and Don Featherstone in the library and started writing my own, and mm -hmm. things got more and more complicated. It always comes down to writing your own rules at some point. All right. Everybody, sh you know, everybody should write their own rules. Yeah. Maybe that's what everybody does, don't they? <laughs> well, well, you know, I, yeah, there's prob probably, you know, there's as many half written sets of rules as there are wargamers out there. Well, that's um, true. But, you know, everybody should write them just so they understand. Because, you know, I really hate these guys that, you know, that bang on. Oh, you know, why do they have to make it so complicated? You know, my rules are like on one page. Like, that's because you play with six guys that you've played with for 20 years and you know all the conventions so you can write in this shorthand you know like i i tried to do some ancients rules with don and and it just got more and more complicated says, you know I get, i'm getting play testers around the world and and they say when you say this what do you mean and now i've got to oh crap now i've got to explain how i you know, measure a wheel, mm -hmm. right? How I, you know, all the conventions that I'm just assuming, right? right. And your rules get longer and longer and longer and longer. Yeah. Then you had army lists and scenarios and you're like 120 pages. 
Yeah. And maybe what you're, you and Glenn are both referring to is the idea that when you have a group of players who, who meet regularly, because we're all interested in a period, in this case, we're using Napoleonics as our, our subject, but later on in the conversation, we could expand that to almost any period of wargaming. What we're really talking about, I think, is a common language that allows us to interact, right? If you yeah. think, of the, think of the rules as a language or a dialect. And the the problem, I think, maybe that we're having today is kind of like a, the story of the Tower of Babel from Genesis, right? How many how many languages do we need? So let's jump into it. I'm going to start by uh, sharing my screen. And um, this is something, Jim, you wrote on Twitter a while ago. <laughs> and it really caught my attention. So for the sake I hope of I like that when it came up in my feed. <laughs> I, I got 41 likes. Maybe I'll check. Yeah. It, it, well, it was 41 likes at the time. Yeah, I'm sure mm -hmm. it's still going live. So I'm going to read it for those of you who are just listening. Uh, Jim wrote, all new rule sets for war games using Napoleonic miniatures should now include a chapter entitled Why These Rules Exist. This chapter would explain what they do differently than the nigh-infinite other sets using the same basic maneuver element. And there is part two of that tweet, which I don't have. But I'm, Jim, I'm going to turn it over to, um, to you. I just need to uh, get out of my screen here. There, stop sharing screen. There we go. Jim, I'm going to turn it over to you, and maybe you could explain the circumstances that inspired you to um, to to write that tweet, and and what the maybe some of your thinking was behind it. I mean, the, you, we can kind of infer what you were getting at, but maybe you could take a few minutes to talk about what what led you to write that. I was looking at a set of rules. Uh, I like I think everybody else who has ever participated in this hobby. Uh, read rules inveterately. It's just what I do. I, I, I've certainly owned and read more rules than I've ever played. That's to be stipulated. And I don't think you're a proper war gamer if you haven't. And I was flipping through a new set of rules that I had just picked up. I won't say which. And for the first time in my life, 40 years of war gaming plus, I remember getting angry. And I was just going, oh, for the love of God, stop. Why did you do this? Why did you put this into this space that is so packed and so jammed and you're bringing nothing new to the table? Literally nothing that I could discern. Now, I'm no, and I wanna be crystal clear about this. I'm absolutely no arbiter of this for anybody. This was my own personal thought, but it, you know, it's not like I'm gonna stand athwart game, the gaming environment and say, stop. But I did say, number one, stop. And number two, for God's sake, at least tell me what it is you're bringing new to the table that I haven't seen before. Tell me why I should be introduced, especially when you're at the same maneuver element. You know, yeah. when I, and I think we got to give this to, uh, to Mike Novak and to uh, Frank Chadwick when Volley and Bayonet first started playing with brigades as a square and mm -hmm. when Coggins and the others gave us Napoleon's battles and started thinking about brigades, that, that was a whole different maneuver element. That was a whole different maneuver element. And, you know, it, it changed things. It fundamentally changed. And I could see that evidently, but probably my preferred scale is battalion. And it happened again today. I was paging through another battalion level set of rules and there's nothing there. There's nothing there. And then I took it one step farther. I said, 
give me this thing that explains this to me. And the second thing is, don't tell me certain things, because that's what the, the second half of the tweet is. Never again tell me I don't have to rebase my figures. That's either a lie or self-evident. <laughs> you know, number two, don't tell me ever again that your rules are fast playing. Right. They're not. They aren't. Because <laughs> I can build a battle big enough to make them not fast playing. <laughs> okay. You know, I don't care who you are. I mean, probably the fastest set of rules I've ever played is probably Blucher. I would say we played Leipzig on the channel with the Armchair Dragoons. We played the entire battle of Leipzig. It lasted for 62 hours. Blucher's a darn fast playing system, but it took a while. All right. So don't tell me that it's. And, and the third thing, please don't ever write in a rule set again or on a thing. Hey, if you don't like it, you can change it. Of course I can. I bought the thing. You know, I, I, I've seen that in so many rule sets. Yeah. You know, I've seen that comment. I'm like, that's. And so it, it, you get into this. It, it, a toolbox. Yeah, it's a toolbox. You I've know, taken it's... notes now and I'm going to include all those in every rule set. <laughs> that's a very good. <laughs> very good. Because those are awesome. <laughs> yeah, those are, you know. And then, and then oh, and then finally, I don't know if I can return to something I would like you to give me. Don't, or well, I, I sort of go back and forth. It goes to scale. Come on, give me a figure scale. Give me a ground scale. Because, and this is me, I'm a, I'm a historical battle guy, right? I never want to play in a tournament again as long as I live. I survived the DBA wars. I actually ran Numidians. Those of you who have played DBA know what I'm talking about. You know, I ran Numidians in their heyday and I never want to do it again. I, I want to play historical battles. That's a pain in my onces if you don't give me your ground scale and your figure scale, mm. or at least a, a notional one. So what motivated it? It was just another rule set. And I just feel some, and, and then finally, and, and everybody's circumstances are different, I stipulate. But in my case, it is a challenge to get people involved in the hobby. Uh, if you haven't figured it out, I've moved predominantly virtual now. Part of that is my failing eyesight. And part of that is my uh, personal life circumstance. Playing war games on TTS is one of the things I have has, is a great convenience. One of the things I have discovered is that when you get people into a rule system and they flesh it out and they experience it and they enjoy it, you start to evolve a lingua franca among those people. You draw more people in. I've drawn people into my own gaming sessions online and on the channel by saying, hey, yeah, we're playing Blucher or we're playing LaSalle or we're playing Black Powder. We're doing all these things. Come on over and try it. And if they say, oh, I always wanted to try that because we fragmented, I guess what I'm saying, we're already an awfully fragmented hobby. And I, I'm concerned that a further fragmentation of our already small cul-de-sac is something we can ill afford. Um, is that going to stop people from printing new rules? <laughs> of course not. But it just was what I felt as I was flipping through another rule set on a sunny Saturday afternoon. Gentlemen, I am so very sorry I am late. That's a horrifying avatar, but awesome in its own way. Right, yeah. um, I'm so glad that you joined us. Thanks. Uh, thanks. You just missed a, a pretty epic uh, 
pretty epic uh, start to our discussion by Jim. Uh, so I'm, I'm just going to take a minute to uh, introduce you to the rest of the panelists. I don't know um, uh, if you know, uh, I'm hoping you know some of these folks, at least by reputation. Jim Ozarski from Milwaukee from the Armchair Dragoons. Um, uh, Glenn Pierce from Toronto from the Napoleonic Miniatures Wargame Society of Toronto. Uh, published the Rules to Gear, uh, Rules with Bacchus. Uh, Don Perrin was uh, Duke Siegfried's uh, sidekick for a long time and uh, uh, was the last uh, uh, the last person to carry the courier banner. And then okay. James, James Manto and myself, um, both um, hosts of the uh, this little podcast and and fans of your podcast, I should say. Well, thank and, you. Yeah. So, Tom, uh, note, I'm absolutely glad that you joined us. Maybe you could just speak very quickly to your Napoleonic gaming uh, CV. And then yeah. if you've had a chance to think about um, that tweet of Jim's that I shared, um, I can either turn it over to you or, or I can give you a chance to gather your thoughts while somebody else weighs in on that. Yeah, no, I've actually thought quite a bit about it. Can you hear me okay, by the way? Yeah, yes. you're, yeah you're okay. good. Yeah. So I began my Napoleonic gaming with Empire's version, Ooh. the very end of two. Yeah, believe me, I feel exactly the same way. Um, the very end of two and into Empire three. And at a, a pretty ridiculously young age, you know, I was probably yeah. 13 or 14 when I started messing with those. Not only did I scarcely understand them, um, I had no concept of the uh, the the, the uh, investment in figure count to play them properly. I, I mean, I'm I'm we joke all the time on my show that I paint frighteningly fast, but it, as a young man, I painted poorly, frighteningly fast, and still couldn't come up with the appropriate number of figures because if you didn't get to a certain level of a number of units that whole command structure of empire third completely fell apart you know you really couldn't play it at a lower uh, a size mm -hmm. so you know I, I just started off i could say the wrong foot i didn't even start off on a foot you know i just started off tumbling head first into one of the most convoluted set of rules ever written uh, with <laughs> no hope of return um we, we went on to, I think it was uh, Guard du Corps, little, you know, um, mimeographed set of rules. I don't recall the author of that one. Uh, we danced around with Avalon Hill and Napoleon's Battles, which I wanted to love that and somehow just didn't really ever catch with that one as well. Um, and then finally, we, we settled into Wilbur Gray's Age of Eagles. Yes, the very one, Michael. Um, we settled into Wilbur Gray's Age of Eagles, the spinoff from, you know, Napoleonic Fire and Fury. Yeah. And, you know, and, and the truth of the matter is there's a couple of things at play here. There's a lot of different kinds of rules that I just mentioned, but we also grew as gamers. You know, we probably did it completely backwards. We play the easier set of rules now as reasonably intelligent people with huge collections of miniatures. Um versus starting with probably the absolute worst starting point ever. We, we did a program on Scott Bowden's rules and uh, his son commented rather violently that we were imbeciles and, you know, very defensive of his father. And he certainly, you know, you should do that, I guess, stick up for family. Um, but, you know, we said that was, it was the wrong set of rules for us at that time. So to go back to the question in the tweet, um, 
I think that we have learned so much, not about Napoleonics. I mean, that there's a, I won't say that there's not a finite amount of information about the history, but uh, you know, we, we learn new things about the history, but, but all in all, we're pretty comfortable with what occurred in the time period. But I do think rural mechanics are getting better. And, and, uh, and in our group, we have fairly significant debates about the good old days. And I see, yeah, the, the good old days of thalidomide and polio. I mean, it, it's, it, sometimes we wax poetic and the reality of that memory is, is somewhat skewed. You know, they, my wife's a labor and delivery nurse, and she said that that blocking of the pain and suffering of giving a, of having a child is the only thing that allows a woman to have a second child. And I begin to think that war game rules can be the same way that we were, Ray, uh, for our podcast, they said, you know, one of these days, I'd kind of like to find a copy of Empire Third and see what we really did wrong. It's like, no, I'm, I'm not going to go kiss my ex-wife. We're not going to do this, you know? So... <laughs> I, I, I tend to think that we have made better rules and we hopefully will continue to do so. So I'm perfectly on board with the next flavor of the month. Yeah. I mean, you're, you, you, I, I like that you touched on nostalgia because I mean, I, I think, you know, I wax nostalgic back to my little pile of, of badly painted Airfix miniatures, you know, and mm-hmm. playing with, with really grotesquely modified tricolor rules. And you know, I had some fun games yep. crawling around the floor with my, I had like six whole trees and two <laughs> cardboard houses. And, you know, this, this one box of, of cuirassier was like nays whole cavalry reserve. <laughs> and I was having fun, you know, yep. and it's trying to recapture that, that fun of youth when you know nothing. Yeah. And everything yep. is amazing. Well you then know? what, but, but then the, the, the key to that and, I apologize. I don't have a camera available, but I'm equally old and bald. So, um, <laughs> except for you, Glenn, you have a charming head of hair there, but, um, and Michael as well. But, on the show. Yeah. Okay. Very good. You got to balance that. The follically challenge. That's awesome. Um, but you know, we, we talk about all the time, but you know, we didn't know anything. Then we knew everything. And now we're of an age to be able to admit, we still don't know everything and we probably never will. And, we thought we knew more than we did and, you know, and on and on and on, um, yeah. you know, to go back to the Scott Bowden thing, you can go all the way to the chef de battalion where he's trying to make you a, where you're, you're, you're pacing off drill count. And I don't know that anyone alive today knows enough to do a set of rules based on the level that that was supposed to be. But ultimately isn't the whole point of this to have fun and the camaraderie of getting around the table and making fun of one another and good jest and, uh, you know, we, we, our mantra is a game played is better than one not. Yes, that's a good, that's a good motto. I like that. It doesn't always play out. We don't play nearly enough, but still, you know, for those that say, you know, and I know this is a Napoleonic talk, but for those that, oh, I can't stand, you know, XYZ World War II rules, they're, they're too simplified, they're too this or too that. Yeah, they might be, but did you get, did you have a good time? You know, did you get together and did you play a game that you can talk smack about for years to come and time for a pint afterwards? And and maybe that's also a part of it, our evolving requirement of what we want from a set of rules. Yeah, yeah. And I think that motto of, you know, a game played is better than a game not played uh, for those of us who are finding ourselves inching ever closer to eternity. um, (laughs) is uh it takes on a certain extra meaning 
Um, Glenn, did you have any thoughts you want to share about uh, Jim's contention that, you know, at the very least, a new set of rules should justify its existence? Well, yeah, I, I kind of like that idea. I think it, I think it's that good, but uh, who's going to actually do it? I mean, each author, you know, is going to write what they're going to write, and so be it. Uh, sometimes also, when you're writing a set of rules, you're under a certain mandate, such as the number of pages. And when you're under these kind of restraints, you know, you got to select what you're going to say and what you're not going to say. And although it'd be nice to have a little chapter, like Jim says, maybe at the end to explain why and uh, embellish it a bit more. So I basically agree with Tom. I think Tom brings out some brilliant points that the, the rules themselves, I agree, they're evolving and they're changing and they're improving. Now, you all get the odd lame duck and you go, why the hell did the guy write that? But uh, overall, as far as I... Are we naming it, names, Glenn? No. Oh, okay, very good. All right. Well, I, I, I don't know, chaps. We shouldn't be that afraid to step on toes if, if uh, you know, because we're, we're all speaking from our passions, right? I mean, let's be diplomatic. But if you want to name a set of rules for something you liked or something you didn't like, feel free. You know, I'll say this, and, and there's I want to be ultimately clear that there is nothing wrong with the rules that I'm about to mention. And it, it is all taste, right? It's all what floats your boat. Um, but I've had some remarkable discussions with David Estenis, the uh, author of Estenis, very good, the author yeah. of uh, ESR. And, and we talked about that, um, that nostalgia. Reading his rules gave us that nostalgia for a game that had a little more meat to it that I love the idea that you're you're shaking out your column into a battle formation you know there, there seemed to be so much to it until I played it and 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 I put this squarely on my shoulders that my memory of what I thought I wanted didn't play out to be the reality of what I actually enjoyed and for, for those that, and there are a great audience for that set, that game and, and more power to them. But I think, again, I think it was more nostalgia that I wanted that level. Um, I, I struggled through that. And again, that's no reflection on his rules. I think they're outstanding. Uh, just what I want out of a rule set now. Mm -hmm. On a completely biased basis, we just finished playing that game for nine hours on the channel. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he ran us through an 1809 scenario. David actually helped me host. And it was a very interesting experience. And mm -hmm. I, have, I, have, I have two things. Number one, he does. He does, in some ways to me, and I've said this to him, and he says it wasn't there, but it just feels, if you've ever read Patty Griffith's Wargaming for Fun, yes. Napoleonic Wargaming for Fun, it, his game plays a lot like I pictured in my head Patty's army game playing. And so I was very, okay. very, ex I was very, very excited to play ESR. I had the second edition, got the third edition, did all this stuff. I, I'll, I'll tip the hat. I really, really enjoy them, but I do find them a bit of a mind screw because they're yeah. very, very different from what I'm used to. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm, I'm wandering around, but I'll, I'll give you my example. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that, and I'm going to get the name wrong. It's, it's, it's all over. The, is it Napoleon at war? Oh yeah. That's Napoleon it. at war. Yeah. 
that's out the last two minutes and a half. Mm-hmm. I've I haven't played it. I have not played it. And that's critical to me that I measure my response with that. But I've watched, I've read the rules. I haven't. I I've looked at the videos. I've I, and I just don't see it. It is almost the classic case of what I'm talking about here. I don't understand why these exist. You know, it's I I, I see absolutely nothing. And don't tell me the cards. Do not tell me the cards. <laughs> you know, because I'll, I'll, you know, I love Commands and Colors Napoleonics. Sin confessed. Um, Richard Borg is a, a gaming hero to me. So it's mm-hmm. not like I've got some prejudice there, but I just don't see it. And it's that. It isn't the nostalgia because, no, no, my, the first set of rules I ever played was a homebrew set by the name of Grand Tactics from the greatest war game store to ever exist. It's even better than the Emperor's Headquarters. Take that. Uh, place. place <laughs> Place called Napoleon's up here in uh, Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. Owner Not passed anymore, away. Unfortunately, it yeah, no, yeah, went away some years. Yeah, kid, killed by the internet, as many things were. Sorry, yeah. I, have to, I have to ask: Is that the Whitefish Bay that's referred to in uh, the Wreck of the Evan Fitzgerald? It is not. And every time oh. Gordon Lightfoot shows up in Milwaukee, we uh, we all cheer for that. He goes, "It's not the same one. That one's <laughs> the, that one's way up on the UP." Okay, okay. I had yeah, to... yeah, the, yeah. The searchers all say. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, Fritz died just a few years ago and he was a good friend. And I I learned to play Napoleonics using his rules. I picked them up just some years ago and I went, oh my God, these are horrible. You've got a 60 to one figure ratio and you got guys opening garden gates. You know, it's it's insanity. So it's not nostalgia. It's a, it's a thing about what are you bringing? What are you adding? And please tell me it's not just you're trying to sell miniatures, you're trying to sell a line of things or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's a big, and it's, it is interesting though, because Tom is absolutely correct. There is, there is no doubt that it's subjective and it's the game that you're looking for at this point in your life. That is, mm-hmm. couldn't be more right. Right. Don, I, I think we wonder about, or at least I wonder that, that the, the rules writer is not, uh, um, a professional product developer. Uh, mm. We're not talking about a person who, who, who has analyzed the market, raised capital, and went out there and built a product. This is more uh, a level of, of obsession. You started off with a light, a, a light entry into Napoleonics, and, then, and you descended until you thought you knew everything. Uh, we already talked about that level. Uh, you later learn you know nothing, but but you don't. But there's a time in between there. Yeah. While you know everything, you have to write your own set of rules because that's how you tell everybody you know everything. But really, in, in the pre-internet, uh, at least the pre-Zoom uh, era, I think I think you get your street cred in the Napoleonic world, if there is a such a thing, <laughs> with the 15 guys that you know by, by publishing your own rules. Uh, and, and a guy, you know, like in Milwaukee, if you, if you publish them and then you got him into, uh, into uh, Napoleon's or, or Todd Fisher picked him up and put him in his store, um, you were famous for those 12 guys or 50 guys that were in that neighborhood. Um, yeah. if you went all the way out to HMGS East and played at Historicon, they never heard of you and they, and they don't know who you are. So it's, it's, it's really a level of, of looking at, this is a, this is a, <laughs> a symptom of the psychosis rather than it is a, <laughs> a, a product, um, moving out into the world, uh, to, to gain dominance. 
I'm sure there are a few of those. I, I, I suspect maybe Napoleon's battles might have been one of them. But, um, but, but yeah, well, exactly. Uh, and, but nine tenths of them or 99 one hundredths of them are, Hey, uh, I never read a set of rules that had 60 guys opening a garden gate before. So I better write one because that's important in my game. And, and that's what makes me the expert. That's right. I'm a core commander that has to issue orders, but yet I still have to deploy a skirmish screen. Yeah. That, that's, that's Ooh, exactly the, we'd be talking about empire. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, was well, there's a I was one Easy. Suck, I was yeah, one sucker in, into a uh, game of battle uh, a replay of Battle of Waterloo where they said it'll be fast play empire. <laughs> See, what did I say? What did I say? That's yeah. a lie. Yeah. That's a lie. You didn't have to rebase anything. Come on. That's so funny because I have some revolutionary era French currently soaking in a pan in my kitchen, trying to get them off of bases that they were mounted for some 60 to one game. I bought them at a swap meet, beautifully painted figures, but it's like, no, they got to come off of these bases. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's an excellent point. May I add yeah. of, of the, the, uh, of how rules have developed and have uh, have changed over time, that we don't do that anymore. That you know, most rules written today are in fact relatively agnostic about basing. Mm -hmm. And you know, in the in the eighties or the seventies, that was heresy. I mean, if it didn't do the math to calculate as to exactly how long a line of Prussian fusiliers would be, you know, at the ready. Uh, you were you were just a you know just a hack, and yeah. you know now we realize the world is a little more fluid than that, and people don't lose their minds. You know the the old adage: as long as everybody's stuff is based roughly the same. Yeah. I can remember the first game I played where you didn't remove miniatures, or I didn't need a little bag of casualty caps, and that seemed like heresy because I had a stunning collection of casualty caps and now i didn't get to use them anymore yeah i do too yeah yeah, yeah. now everyone's using those little dial markers or whatever um yeah. i noticed uh i was listening to the wiss podcast i think i can't remember if it was guy powers or jasper ortiz was talking to uh, uh warwick kincaid about his new uh rules uh, what are they called soldiers of napoleon i think yeah and um uh they put the same quote they put jim's question to to Kincaid, you know, uh, they they I think they they'd obviously read your tweet, um, Jim, and they they said, you know, like, why does the world need your set of rules? And his answer was basically, well, because they're card driven, and no one else has ever done a card driven set of rules before. And I thought, well, okay, um, no. yeah, what? that's never really. <laughs> that's 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 objectively false. Well, Probably. commanding colors. <laughs> Isn't yeah. commanding colors card? Of course driven? it is. Of course yeah, it is. It is. There you go. Yeah. It's been around ages. Sharp practice. Yeah. Card driven. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, I, I I was kind of hoping for a little bit more, and I I have to say, just personally, I am at the saturation point where I am not going to go out and look at Warwick Kincaid's rules because I mean, I know he's done great things with World War II stuff, and he has a certain reputation, but I wonder personally, and I some of you referred to this, so I'm going to put this question to you: How much? Rules writing is driven by the fact that somebody either has, and, I, and I'm being cognizant that some of you have written your own Napoleonic rules, so I'm trading carefully here. It's just that 
you know, I know the period, uh, either I know the period better than other people, or I just know the kind of, kind of game that I want to play and I can sell my friends on it. And that's good enough for me. Yeah. It's mm. a form of psychosis. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got nothing other than what Don said. I, I just, I'm just endorsing. Yeah. I, I, yeah, hardly agree. Cause, um, yeah, you, you, you look for the game you want to play and if you can't find it, and I find personally, um, it's easier to learn a set of rules if you're writing it hmm. than it is trying to read a book and play, like, especially for, for a fairly complicated style of warfare like Napoleonic Wars. Right. right? I mean, yeah, maybe it's because we just know too goddamn much <laughs> because there's all these diaries and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. That, you know, we like, yeah, like you can do a core level game. But the designer says, oh, but I've got to worry about what the rifle armed half platoon of Russian Jaegers are doing. No. It's like, what? You should be commanding like at least 5,000 men in a move. You don't care what the Jaeger platoon is doing. Right. You know, which is where Empire really fell apart for me. Even I had somebody say, oh, no, it's great. Once you get, you know, you can manage those skirmish lines and everything. And I was just like, no. Is that the well, only game you play? So you have them memorized and your whole club is like that. Then You know, that's that's coming back to the idea of, you know, and this is something that, that we've argued in our own group many times, you know, the, the old uh, you must form square kind of thing. And, you know, what was the, 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 the actual tactical relevance if you had a, a well-placed line with its with its flanks anchored and, you know, would that have been a thing? Is it, is it more of a morale thing? Is it more of a functional thing? And, and you can debate that for days and days and days, but every set of rules has their, their version of that kind of thing. And like you said, when you find the one that fits what you think is right, yeah, then that's the set of rules for you. And if you don't find one, then either you house rule the hell out of something or you, or you do it yourself. You know, you, you can, if you want to house rule something, the best rules in the world are black powder, right? Because there's no, yeah. If ever there was a set of rules where there's no set of rules, you can do pretty much as you wish, you know. And <laughs> and I say that tongue in cheek, and we play the hell out of it, you know. They, um, they move along fast. Yep. Like you know, and and yeah, you can have base. Fast, you can have a fast moving game, throw some insults and dice around, and have <laughs> some fun. Like, and if you can't it. insult your friends, what can you do? Oh yeah, I mean, I love <laughs> I love Black Powder for American Civil War. And actually, you know, without getting off topic, I think that's the single best supplement they ever wrote for those rules. But either way, that that's another podcast, right? American Civil War. But okay, yeah, um, yeah. Me, well, and you uh, can argue. I, I'm finding that I'm trending towards uh, portability and community uh, rather than than f fidelity of rules. Um, if my rules, if the rules that I'm I'm interested in don't include the 60 men to open the garden gate, uh, but they do include uh, chapters of people playing all across the country or all across the world. I'm more interested in that because, um, you know, Warhammer taught me that of all things. And that is, you know, I could fly to London, England, or I could fly to St. Petersburg, Florida and, and, and have a game with somebody, somebody I've never met. And they have a reasonably close uh, uh, interpretation of the rules similar to what I have. 
And I think mm-hmm. things like Age of Eagles is is approaching that, and that there are you know Age of Eagles people all over the all over the world now, right. and that if you know how to play, chances are you can find somebody in in driving distance of wherever you yep. are or wherever you're going, and that has an, a, an appeal to me. And it also uh, you know with this internet thingy, uh, It'll we never can talk you. about it. Uh, and and right or wrong, uh, uh, if if the brigade sergeant major doesn't have the um, uh, the gate key for the garden gate, uh, we'll get past it and move on. Yep. I just I I can't even tell you how much I agree with that too. Uh, to me, that's the Blucher thing. Uh, the TTS groups I play with, I've got a I've got a regular participant who is. I think late latest I heard he was in Brittany. I've got one in Kent. Um, I've got all all three times uh, three right. We got three time zones four in America. <laughs> yeah. uh, one one in four Hawaii. And four and a half. There you go. And uh, you know I've got that and the the lingua franca, which is which was a a really key part of the original tweet was that I really want to see before I die something of lingua franca at least run a couple sets. And one of them has absolutely, for me, been Blucher, mm-hmm. um, even though it's it is it, it has its limitations to be sure. But the fact that um, you know Alex Southern from Storm of Steel has played those games remotely with people from the East Coast, and I've got friends who tell me that it's just a thing they they just get together with their group and say, "Come on, guys, let's pick one, play that." And that'll be our thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, of course, there's this excitement of, oh, look at the cool new thing that just came into the mail. I get that. But at a certain point, there's an incredible value to, and I'll, I'm stealing the, the word, portability. That, yep. that, that really matters. Because you know, Brenda, no, point, no point doing it yourself. And I think that's where you see things like, you know, um, Warhammer Napoleonics or, um, you know, uh shako's rampant which somebody's <laughs> because they like this system and they and they understand it so it's like well now let's play this other set of rules and modify or this other period and modify the rules we know age of eagles is, is exactly that right yeah. it's fire and yep. fury yeah. yep. and it's and it's a good brigade level game unlike napoleon's battles yep right well and you go back to you know two things come to mind first of all <laughs> blucher is there no better example of what we talked about in the evolution of games than most of Sam Mustafa's games? Sam's been on our show a number of times, and I always wait with bated breath the next thing he does because he's remarkably innovative, in my opinion. And, and I have not liked all of the innovations. There have been games that I thought were tremendous hits on his part, with, with Bluker being one of them. Mm-hmm. And there were some that I didn't jive with, like Longstreet as much. But uh, something came up. We played a game recently, and we had a friend down from uh, what's what's known as Central Texas, and of course we're dealing with a you know our own little continent down here. So Central Texas and South Texas are still hours and hours apart. Uh, but he came down and he played Age of Eagles with us for the first time, and we played a, a a very small scenario. It was just two players, and I refereed the game. And the next day, he was going to put on a, an American Civil War game for us using the uh, Altar of Freedom rules. 
and I think of, of Age of Eagles as being a very elegant set of rules that plays very easily. And, and our, our guest, of course, picked up the rules right away. He'd never played Fire and Fury either, which kind of surprised me. Hmm. But they're not a difficult set of rules to, to learn. No. And within a you know three or four turns, he knew the charts, and he's out there, and he's maneuvering, and he's shooting. And, and what he came away with was the number of bases to move the number of little pieces to keep track of versus say, a, you know, a, a blucher or an altar of freedom where also a brigade level game, but a brigade and he plays in six mil uh, is one card in miniatures. So, you know, we're playing roughly the same command level game, but he's playing with uh, nine or 12 pieces versus nine or 12 brigades made up of anywhere from, eight to 18 stands individually. Mm -hmm. So he had a very interesting point that something to him that makes a new game good is if he's not toting around 60,000 little bases of miniatures. And, you know, I, I don't know where I fall on that, but I, I do agree it's easier, most certainly. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and, you can, and, and you can see where things like, you know, Age of Eagles and, and Napoleon's Battles you know, they obviously said, well, we want to do bigger games. We need to maneuver brigades, but we have these, you know, armies already, ba empire, yeah. Yeah, already based up yeah. for empire. Or right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we're not going to rebase. We're just going to call it something different now. Well, you don't have right. to rebase. You know that, right? No. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's fast play. No, no, but you do. And you to stop it. What? Stop it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but likewise, you know, and this is a sales pitch thing. And Michael, you held up the uh, uh, the uh, Napoleon's battles rules. But here we are with a, a very sound collection of miniatures. And Avalon Hill releases those scenario books. And one has Leipzig in it. It's like, who? Who could, who has the time? Who has the figure count? Well, who has one, right? Okay. There, there is, there There's is, Lucy. has the gymnasium, <laughs> right? You know, so uh, Richie Hall was putting on a game uh, just recently, and I think it was, uh, it was 1815, it was June 16, right? And it was this magnificent 28 millimeter game. And I just saw the pictures and, I, and it was just wall to wall humanity of figures. And I'm thinking, how do you maneuver? Yeah. How do you do that? You know, so one of the things that comes to mind with us these days when we were young and started, you know, there were the Hinchcliffe true like 25 mil, but what appealed to us were the racks and racks and racks of 15 mil minifigs because they were cheaper. We were young. We didn't have great jobs. So you could get more bang. Yeah. You could get bang for the buck. They were, they were at the time being packaged directly for empire. So it was very easy to grab a couple of battalions here and there. Uh, but we've all said if six mil had been a thing in the 80s, we'd have millions of six mil. Yes. Just for the space and, and all the things that you can do with that. So I think in a new set of rules, if you play, if it is scale agnostic, that's a big deal for me now, too. Yeah. Yeah. And and we could we could spend another hour just talking about scale profusion, let alone rules. Yep. I, I'm really interested in what Jim said about the lingua franca. You know, if there's because I use the analogy of the Tower of Babel that we're in right now. James and I had a really interesting discussion a couple of episodes back with um, uh, a young woman who's part of a group here in Ontario whose target audience is primarily college university students. And they 
they do um, their project involves a lot of tabletop simulator stuff very similar to what Jim does and their focus is seven years war and um, they they've been telling us that they use blue crew very very as a very successful kind of teaching tool to get people interested in horse and musket gaming you know I'm really really interested in the the value of systems like that even though some of us might look at them and say well they lack the complexity that I'm looking for or whatever and that I guess leads to another question right is is do we have the time in our gaming careers to invest in new systems and and the, the David's um, set of Napoleonic rules the David and Stennis's rules uh, which have that very curious name uh, uh, what was it was it sans résultat it sans résultat yeah, yeah. So you know, a game a game without a resolution, like yeah, just, yeah it's like ominous. Well, he's, very, he's you know he's quoting you know he's obviously quoting Marat after Ilo. Yeah, 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 and and you know a certain time a Napoleonic gamer would know that, but the guy who's good, just, I've made that point to him. I said yeah. you are you do realize you're pitching to the choir on that one. Yeah, and and that's the other thing. There's a certain I think there's a certain elitist kind of quality in in this part of the hobby, which is probably replicated in other parts of the hobby too. I'm sure there. <laughs> Well, Michael, let me jump. Let me jump in there. There was a there was a discussion on his Facebook page where someone questioned the logic of his uh, army list investing so heavily in the language of the army. You know that it wasn't a kind of a generalized grenadier. You know he uses the the Russian term. He uses the Austrian term, and and someone said for someone that's new to the game, it's it's daunting. To, to learn this, and, you know, and David's point was, well, you know, I explain it in the, in the foreword of each of those, which is true that he does. And then someone jumped in with a very elitist, well, you know, don't go for the easy way out. You know, maybe this is your chance to learn something. And it's like, it's his chance for, to go back to Warhammer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, 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 I, I do question the logic in that. I like learning something new. I think most of us do, but if it leads to, a potential impairment of learning the game you know maybe that's not the the best tool to use well come on even warhammer has like i don't know 22 armies and and uh, a hormer god is a lot different than a space marine is a lot different than a guardsman is a True. lot different than a blah blah blah, blah blah so i mean they're not afraid of it that is well, true I, you know and i this is i this came in the mail today this is my uh this is the i have now both of his books the the scenario books i I'll let David speak for himself. He's a big kid. I don't know if he imagines this as a gateway game. That's 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 the weird bit. I mean, I know he's trying to present a completed package, but I'll absolutely agree with Tom that that's that there is a there is a thing when you're going. I've been at this a long time, and I'll be going down his army lists, going, "Wait a minute, what are you talking about?" Yeah, you and know, some, and, some and, of his and that, lists are wrong. You know, uh, yeah. And he's had to put out errata because he does get told that. But it's it when you're that detailed, it's the same thing. Michael Hopper, uh, probably the greatest living Shaco scenario designer, um, his many many books. He's got you know there he when he makes me go to my guidebooks and go, what the heck unit is he talking about? <laughs> you know, and I got to figure out what that unit looks like. I got no idea how. 16 year old Jim back in 1980 would have been trying to figure this out, uh -huh. you know, and we're better now, but I, I think also, and that's, and, and Michael, to, to your question, to your question, to your point, I really, really think that 
if we're going to build this community to the place where it, yeah, sure, it's part of it. I know I've got fewer years ahead than behind. That's that's not a secret. Uh, you know, it's three score and ten, baby. Um, but it, but besides that, I do kind of want to leave something behind. I want to leave a hobby behind. I want to leave something behind. And how do we bring people in? I thought that the lady, I think she's a professor. Is she not? I thought they used Maurice, or do they use Blucher? Uh, they use both, but they they use Blucher as their recruiting tool. Is that right? Okay, well that's terrific. And and yeah. I think I've taught Blucher for Sebastian Bay's Georgetown folks. Mm-hmm. You know that Georgetown Society. I've taught that on TTS. I've done it for a number of seminars, and the joy of seeing a rule set click in people that maybe don't have that background and experience is really pretty freaking cool. Mm -hmm. Um, And have them say, well, maybe I won't be a big Napoleonicist nerd, but I'd do this again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, to me, that's a gigantic win. I'm not going to do that with ESR. I'm just not. Uh, I'll do it with black powder. I'll do it with Mm -hmm. Blucher. Uh, Certainly do it with commands and colors. If people were more inclined that way. And I, I'm really looking for people to iterate and build a community, build a portability uh, around that. And that's, that's, I think, what motivated me in the first. Yeah, and then you get people in and then they can go off and, you know, you point them at, well, here's, here's Haythernthwaite, here's the Os- here's 10 million different Osprey titles you can start buying. Yep. And then they can start climbing up to their own pinnacle of ignorance and write their own set of rules. <laughs> <laughs> well, and there's no point. And, and then, they will, then they will realize that it's that that they've been really silly and they will slide back down yeah at know. what point do you break the auto von pithka digby smith uh story to him <laughs> <laughs> sorry you've uh, lost I, your but, uh, what <laughs> yeah you've lost us go ahead oh uh, the the books by auto von pithka and D- digby smith are you familiar no they're a delight those books yeah they're a delight and they're the same guy yeah yeah <laughs> Let him read a couple of those and break the news to him that one was a nom de plure, one was a what was a, a, a ghost writing name. But anyway, that's a stupid joke. Sorry, okay. I liked it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, we touched on it earlier, but I wonder how much uh, uh, new rule sets are. Let's take something we already know and modify it to something we we are learning about now. Uh, much like that. Um, uh, you know, taking an existing rule set and modifying it to the new, the new, you know, to, to taking it into Napoleonics. I think that's the main um, trend I've seen in the last 10 years. Have you guys seen the same thing or is it, or are you seeing more new rules that are, that are just brand new out of the box? Hmm. I find a lot of, I, well, I always kind of like, especially with ancients rules, um, it's a more familiar with the development there is, you know, I kind of look at, you know, what, what's their, what's their um, genetics, you know, are, is this basically refashioned DBA? Is this refashioned Warhammer or something, you know, and, and I get a little bit with, with Napoleonics where it's like, eh, you know, this is just like, this is just empire, but he's done this to it or, you know, hmm. yeah. Like, Sometimes well, well, it, one of my current heroes in the in the space, and we've spoken about his rules a couple times, is Greg Wegman from Little Wars TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he's and and I think every one of his rules 
is clearly a borrowing from somewhere. You know, uh, Age of Hannibal, he directly credits a lot of things that he took from Chipko's games, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of Blucher in Alter of Freedom. Mm-hmm. In fact, there are some ways that I wish that Blucher was as streamlined as Alter of Freedom. And, and he's, he's dug out a lot of those things. The rule set that I was thinking of, I was trying to come up with another set of card driven rules and I couldn't remember. Uh, Le Fou Sacre that was released by the Lardis. That's you know, right. Yeah. You know, that, that was card driven. Mm-hmm. And, and yet that was the one, and I, and I think it was, was Don who said it, clearly uh, the, the, the rug doctor, the guy who wrote them, um, he had a bunch of Empire guys lying around, but Empire had pissed him off. <laughs> and, and and so he wrote some rules that dealt with what he hated about empire and yeah. yet he built he built up a system um you know so so yeah you can get some really really strong derivations frankly i think Artie conliffe rift shaco based on empire i can't prove that but i, I strongly suspect it i suspect 85 percent of all rules out there are i tried these rules and here are the things i didn't like so i fixed them yeah <laughs> Or, or you get somebody, and, and Glenn made this point earlier, who's, you know, who's constrained by what the publisher is asking them to do, right? So, uh, you know, a good example in a, in a game that James and I just played last week at a small event is um, Dave Brown's um, General Darmé Rules, mm-hmm. the latest to Fat Lardy's uh, Napoleonic Offering. Now, I, I don't know the sequence, but it, it, it is very, very similar in its mechanics to Dave's um, uh, Pickett's Charge Rules. There are just some modifications but, Pickett's charge came first. Yeah. So, you know, clearly he's porting, you know, he's saving himself a lot of labor and he's being a smart rules writer. Uh, and he's meeting Richard Clark's request for, for a, a Napoleonics game that will, will flesh out the, the, the publisher's stable, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you can ask, is it, is it a, does it do anything new? Does it offer, I mean, it's, it's an interesting set of rules. It's fairly crunchy. You could argue that, um, it's a bit confused in terms of its focus. Is it putting you in the role of a division commander or of a core commander? Dave's rules are kind of ambivalent about the, you know, what the player is actually doing. But uh, it was interesting when we were talking to some of the other players afterwards, uh, I mentioned that I was also playing a lot of uh, Sam's uh, LaSalle roles at the moment, and which I, I also really like. Uh, you you know, too. They're simple kind of tactical rules and um, they're fun. And I got the response, oh, I don't like those rules. They're way too gamey. And I thought, well. Play the game there, dude. Play the yeah, game. Well, <laughs> we, we are playing game. Well, yeah. it, I, 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 I'm going to do, do this because I feel dirty if I don't. I don't like General Darmé. Mm. I do not like it. I think Dave is a, is a bright, bright, bright designer. Obviously, he has immense respect, immense popularity. And if I'm the only guy howling in the wilderness, so be it. I think he is one of the most opaque rule writers I've ever encountered. Yeah, I, it's hard to tease out what he's getting to. Yeah, it's and, and don't and oh, by the way, can I add to my list at the beginning? Don't you ever be chatty with me in your rules. <laughs> yeah, don't be chatty. I don't need I, I one of my previous iterations, I was a bill drafter. So right. I've written laws that people actually have to follow. <laughs> and 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 or and or might you know or might try to uh, you know overthrow and so i sit there and i go what are you telling me and i caught him i was trying to read it again today in preparation for this to see if maybe but i can't whereas sam mustafa can work for me or work with me or i'll work for him yep you know 
his rules. I know what he's telling me. I mean, even though I disagree with him, I know what he's telling me. But to, to your point, Michael, and it's a significant grievance with me, somebody somewhere posted that General Darmay was a fast playing. Oh, that was it. You mentioned this. <laughs> that <laughs> somebody posted oh, that this was a big battle game. And no. I said, the, no, the no. screaming blue hell it is. If that <laughs> if that rule set gets above a division, you tell me that's a core a multi core level game. No, no, yeah, absolutely, it, it's too not. crunchy for for more than more than a, a division, maybe two divisions, but no, well, no, no. Know, it, it's too much cha cha. There's way too much cha cha. Rules can go Sand. one end of the other in, in the spectrum. I, I, I like to bring up um, my good buddy Pete Panzeri from HMGS East fame. I got a shirt. Uh, he, he runs huge uh, uh, games of, um, uh, uh, you know, whether it be Napoleonics or whatever. Yeah. He uses what he calls the Santa Ana rules. Yeah. And, the, and they're like half a step up. I won't even say a full step up, but half a step up from from um if if something was included with your little green army men at the at the walmart that's probably what you would have gotten i mean they're they're bone simple but but you know and and there's no realism whatsoever in it however after the after six eight hours of, of play or whatever and you go talk to the players they're all telling you stories about stuff that sounds like a napoleonics battle uh, with interesting ebbs and flows and, and, and interesting stuff. And everybody had a great time. So yeah. I have to argue sometimes with the guys who want empire three, uh, you know, I, I fell off the, the flow chart on, on page four versus <laughs> versus Pete's games, which are like bog standard. If, if, if your dog ate your rules, you really know worse off because you just keep playing. Yeah, I rolled a six um, and hit something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was a one. I don't know. Let's roll for ones now. Uh, but but it, it, they still have fun, and and uh, you're playing a game versus you're not playing a game. So, yeah, there you go. And, th- and that's where um, you know, Richard Clark's approach to game design and publishing, I think, is really good. You know, because people, oh, you know, simulation, ooh, you know, the whole simulation versus playability versus, you know, fun aspect and he says you know you can you can be fun um and you can still simulate you just have to be very clear about what aspect you're simulating right and then abstract everything else so if yeah so if we're going to simulate i'm napoleon then you know you really got to abstract what's happening with that ha- with that platoon of russian skirmishers they have to disappear you know, which yep. is which is really unfortunate for Russian soldiers right now, but um, <laughs> oh, but I'm <ba-dum-ching. laughs> <laughs> so is that just poor rule writing going on? Okay, never mind, we'll stop, <laughs> right? Um, um, somebody's not rolling enough sixes, yeah, <laughs> they're rolling oh. a lot of ones. I was yeah. gonna say, I think it's more critical fails than anything, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, good point, but you know, and that, and that's but that's the problem with Empire. Right. They're trying to be and, you know, and the, the whole um, telescoping time concept where you're moving, you know, your your divisions and cores around until you get to within the engagement space and then things slow down in this crunchy little battle. It's like, that's great. But why am I maneuvering battalions of 12 figures around and no. worrying about, you know, that? Well, allow me to, to, to just open up another huge can of worms while we're on this. 
and, and here's a fine line in game design. Um, I have historically played Austrians. I have gone snow blind painting thousands <laughs> upon thousands of little white soldiers. Nice. Um, and, you know, like Austrians. And, yeah, and absolutely. They can roll with the punches, but yeah, so where, where is the where is the sweet spot in a set of rules? Um, playing the Austrians in Scott Bowden's rules was pointless because he built so heavily into his troop ratings that the uh, pole vaulting nuclear French old guard and their ICBM 12 pounders had, yes. you know, nothing could compete. <laughs> yeah. And then if that didn't finish you off in troop ratings, then he completely finished you off in officer ratings where you're actually saddled with commanders that gave you uh, negatives versus positive. The best thing you could do for Rosenberg was to frag him, right? Was to just like take him <laughs> out yourself, you know? So so there's that side of it. Yeah. Oh, then you that, go to that. the... That I think is Scotty Bowden's big weakness as a rules writer. It's is, almost racist. It, he, it's, yeah, he's <laughs> picked aside. The yeah. French can do no wrong. The French get all the bonuses. Yeah. And it's like, like I've, you know, I'm you know, I, you know, I haven't read, I don't have a huge massive library of Napoleonic books, but I know enough that you know the French army of 1805 is way different from the French army of 1813. Right. right. So, so to, to continue my point, then, it is then the opposite, opposite end of the spectrum. If you want to go to the extremes, this pendulum swings, you go to a set of rules that's like almost completely uh, nationality agnostic, yeah. where everybody's musketeer is the same and everybody's fusilier is the same. And, you know, there's that idea that you're the commander, you're the bonehead or the Napoleon, you're, you know, you're the Archduke John versus the, you know, Wellington. And I don't like that either, because there is a flavor to the fact that there is some very historical precedent that, you know, Austrian troops weren't the most, you know, they were rather lethargic in some of the things that they did. So how much of that do you put in? How much of that do you put into a set of rules that gives you the flavor of the various nationalities without making it virtually impossible to play the Spanish? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, conversely to Tom, I mean, if if the person is you know fond of guys who wear a red shirt, it's just an accident that I'm wearing red tonight because I'm not especially pro-Anglo. But you know, if you believe that the British Army in the Peninsula could do nothing wrong, and that every battle unfolded like uh, an episode of Sharps Rifles, then they'll probably they didn't. Be, they'll probably be another bias, right? Where the French are just nincompoops, and you know, yeah. somebody somebody used the phrase a pinnacle of ignorance earlier. I was listening to. Um, Zach White and his Napoleonicist podcast recently where he was talking to some historians and one of them said, you know, we may have actually gotten a lot of the French army's uh, doctrine in the, the peninsula wrong. We may actually have undercredited their sophistication and professionalism. We just sort of assumed that the French just formed column and charged, you know, the nearest bristling line of guns and rifles. And, you know, he says, so he, he, that leaves me wondering, because I'm no expert on the Peninsula War, that just leaves me wondering, like, how much don't I know, and how much don't the rules writers know? Yeah. So, to, 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 the biggest example, and it comes up all the time when we play Shaco, which is a favorite rule of mine, I still love it, just that, you talk about nostalgia, that's my nostalgia. 
Um, it's, it's a fun rule set. It is. Uh, it, it became a lot of other things when people started dangling baubles on it, which I never cared for. But it's got a basic rule. The French can change formation and move up to 1813. No other army can. It's a, you know, and anybody who plays Shaco, you're going to come down to a conclusion based on that simple fact alone. And I've seen fights break out. Oh, yes, I have. Um, you know, over something like that. So, yeah, we, we make, look, every, and, and this goes all the way back to my tweet. I want you to tell me your story. Tell me your story. What's your argument? What arguments are you making? What do you think? What's the most important maneuver element? What do you think about the quality of French troops? All these things. Once again, read Sam Mustafa's designer notes. Yeah. Number one, they're funny as heck. Number two, he tells you what he thinks and why he thinks it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he doesn't say sorry. You know, why you weren't supposed to get chatty. That was one of your rules. Uh, sorry. Yeah. But, and so he interlaces it throughout the rules. Notes. It's not in the back. It's, yeah, it's after uh, a right. chapter at the bottom. It's yeah, here's it's, why I don't like this. Yeah. I got into a thing today on his on his Facebook page because somebody posted, are you telling me that my artillery can't fire over my infantry? And I'm saying that's right. In Blucher and in LaSalle, Sam has made clear, just like he don't let you fire from water. You yep. can't shoot from the water and you can't fire over your infantry, period, full stop. And Sam will tell you why he thinks that's stupid. And by the way, because he is a PhD on the West with his dissertation on the Westphalian army during the Napoleonic Wars, he knows what he's, he knows what he's talking about. You might, you might have a clue. I know. Yeah. Gentlemen, I said I would, uh, I would start wrapping this up like 25 minutes ago. Uh, um, well, it didn't help that I was late. I apologize. No, no that's okay. I, I'm really happy for our discussion. And I, I think I'm just going to give, um, I'm just going to maybe sort of give each of you a chance for some final thoughts uh, and then we'll um, uh, and then I'll thank you all because there's just sort of a, a limit to what we can ask people to listen to. But you, you guys were so um, you guys are so great. Uh, uh, I'm going to start top left. Glenn, final thoughts. Well, I think it uh, brought out the fact that the rules are just so diversified and, and so different and that the uh, the new rule sets are all trying to improve on what has gone before them. Some of them missed the mark terribly and others hit it. And I see it as overall kind of a golden period for rules actually, because they're being written to serve all the different little pockets of our hobby. So, uh, but the Jim's original point, yeah, if someone can put that into the rule system as well as uh, footnotes, whatever that that's great great thanks don final thoughts um my my final thoughts are that uh, essentially i agree with jim's uh, uh original premise there that show me what what um uh, you're bringing to the table here that's different than what i already have and and, and kind of sort of i already have a favorite and you better have something in there that that pulls me away. Otherwise, I'm not going. Um, mine currently is is AJ Eagles. Um, but honestly, um, uh, from the discussion tonight, uh, it might be that you guys have convinced me to, to look at Blucher. So so there's an example of, of how that might work. Um, um, final thoughts. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
if today I was going to go to a, you know, a, the local library and teach people about Napoleonic wargaming, I'd probably go in there with black powder or some streamlined version of it with some pre-printed cards that are my own manufacturer of what the little troop types do and what their ratings are. So they're not, you know, flipping through books and things like that. For me, the thing that has changed, and it's so funny because we've played Age of Eagles for, well, since it came out, really before it came out, when it was the Yahoo group Fire and Fury Napoleonics. You know, we began with that. Um, and we kind of came to the realization that we, uh, this, this person that brought up the fact about, you know, so many bases and so much stuff that you're moving that, you know, we're kind of looking for that. We've, we've played Blucher and we're kind of also leaning that direction. Talk about a, a, a physical portability, not the portability we discussed earlier where you can go anywhere and play the game. I literally don't have to bring, you know, a wheelbarrow full of miniatures along to do this game. Um, so I think the, the thing that I take away is that my personal requirement of the games are changing. And I don't know that they always fit with what the current trend in a game is, but it does influence it. It does influence when I have the opportunity to play a complete game that comes to some kind of reasonable known completion. You know, my, my greatest pet peeve were those 60 to one games that you played for 12 hours. And then for the next eight years, you argued, well, if we would have had one more turn, I would have gotten my blankety blank Cossack reinforced, you know, how about let's play this to a conclusion and these newer games typically give you that opportunity so i'm i love seeing new products come out do i switch and jump to everyone no i probably like to read rules more than i like to read novels and uh you learn from it you learn from it and you if nothing else you learn what you don't want hmm. thanks tom jim well, first of all it's a pleasure to have been with each of you and to have spoken with you uh thank you so much for the invitation Secondly, uh, I think I've taken a lot of things, particularly from Don, that I'm going to steal. I'll try to mail him a quarter every time I use this. <laughs> the, uh, the, um, I, I very much appreciate those thoughts. Um, but to Tom's point, this, this is now Napoleonic Gaming, if nothing else, is a mature market. Um, it's been around for a long time. It has established tropes. It has established things. And if you're going to enter it, if, if you are going to put something into it that isn't something that you and your six buddies are going to play because you couldn't, you just did, you hated everything else. It just sucked. It wasn't where you were. So I'm going to do this. Fine. If you're going to publish it, I don't care if you do it on Amazon or your own company or all this stuff. Tell us why we care. Um, we're not being cynical. Frankly, odds are I'm going to buy it. I, I, I can't not. You know, it's, it's that, that, that ship has sailed. My ability to restrain myself from buying rule sets. I got it. my wife. It, my wife seriously installed a bookshelf behind me for my rule sets. That's the volume I'm talking about. Hmm. Um, and and so if you're if you're going to do that, please tell us why we care. Give us good and it doesn't have to be volumes. I get Glenn's point completely. Tell us why we care, and then welcome, because I agree. Um, we, we, have, we are well served in many cases by the best of what comes out, but there's a lot that sucks. Thanks. Well, I guess it's my James. turn now. Yeah, your turn. Yeah. Um, well, oh, we're out of time. Sorry. 
Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks to Don there, who, you know, when I was at the Historicon in the dealer's market, the one time I met, actually managed to go and I was like, you know, I was like, oh, should I buy these nice buildings or should I buy this set of rules? And Don said, don't buy a set of rules you're never going to play. Terrain's always an investment. And I've carried that as a motto with me forever. And so I, I think long and hard before I, before I spend my hard-earned cash on a new, on a new set of rules. I'm very cheap that way. But, I, you know, and, and Glenn um, kind of hit on, like it, it made me, something Glenn said made me think, you know, it's kind of like pop music, right? You know, you got all these bands, right? And, and you know, people our age go, oh, music these days sucks, Right. Because, yeah, you're hearing everything that's coming out and hitting the top 40, and some of it sucks. But when we were young, back in, you know, when dinosaurs were putting records on the radio for us, um, a lot of that music sucked terribly. But the stuff we're still listening to on the oldies stations is the, is the stuff that has been distilled and has hung on and is good. Right. Like, you know, Age of Eagles is still being played, even though it's what, 30 years old now? Probably. Right. And it's still being played because it's a solid set of rules. Um, you know, Black Powder is hanging on, even though it's been out for, what, 20 years now? Uh, whereas other rules on Sh- Shaco, Shaco is another another fine example of a good set of rules, which people people enjoy and keep playing. And that's been around for how long, Jim? Uh, the original it's a little over 30 years yeah like that's 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 eons in wargaming right and you know but a bunch of these other rules will fall away they won't they won't gain any traction i imagine blucher will be one of these rules which will be getting still be getting played 30 years from now right um it's you know it's going to be the the beatles hit whereas you know, maybe um, Age of Napoleon or what, what was the one the Osprey? Um, Absolute Emperor. Oh, 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 right. Absolute Emperor was that, you know, the the, the singles release by the. Generic, yeah. yeah, the generic girl band that couldn't play the guitars. Yeah. It's, right? Yeah. Don't get me started on Absolute Emperor, please. And, tried, and, you know, and, and, and they won't they won't be on the greatest hits of the 2020s. I, I think it if you go back to Jim's uh opening diatribe, it, it Absolute Empire does everything that Jim said that rule set shouldn't do. And, uh if you go back in my Twitter feed, I'll only say this will be very quick. Go to my Twitter feed, yeah. you will find me anonymously live tweeting a rule read. That's okay. what I'm live tweeting. All right, okay. I I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what I, I'm going to start just my my wrap up by saying a couple of things about me. I, if you'd met me in my early 40s, I would have said I will never get into Napoleonic gaming because it's too complicated, and I'll never get into ancient gaming. And you know, I was a World War II guy. I was an American Civil War guy, and I, th- I thought those were my sweet spots. Now I'm fascinated by both periods. And so. As far as Napoleonics goes, I, I came late to the party, and there's you guys have mentioned rule sets tonight that I I really wish that um, I, I knew more about. Like, I've never played Age of Eagles, I've never played Shaco, I've never played Volley and Bayonet. 
I don't know if I'll ever have time or focus or partners to go back and research those, but I do know, and I think Glenn made a really good point that we are kind of spoiled for um, we're spoiled for choice now. It is, there, there's so much out there, and it's just that's a matter, not a bad thing. No, it's not. It's just a matter of sifting the good from the bad, and I think it's too knowing what you want to play and what the people around you want to play. So the guys who go to my gaming club are just as likely to play, you know, silver bayonet, you know, with yeah. as they are as they are to play, you know something more crunchy and i think there's a lot of people who will dabble a toe in this part of the hobby and they'll they might buy the warlord you know battle of waterloo set or whatever and you know they'll never they'll they'll never know the first thing about the battle of isla or they'll never know the first thing about what an austrian line battalion look like you know um it'll just be something fun that they'll do for a little while so i think there's always a challenge for those of us who think of ourselves as as Gronyards, and you guys have more cred there than I do, or aspiring Gronyards in terms of, you know, can we weigh the the demands of knowledge, you know, and the, and the research against just the fact that this is a hobby that we want to offer to other people and may have to hold lightly as we offer it to them, right? You know, maybe be generous in emphasizing the playability and, and not, you know, the, the complexity of the period. Although, Jim, I also have those those uh, campaign guides that David publishes. I have the one for Spain and the one for Russia, and they, they're they're super valuable for all sorts of reasons. I may never actually play a scenario as per his dictates, but they're you know, if you don't know the first thing about the opening battles of the Russian campaign, that's a great resource for sure. So anyway, well, yeah, and and you know, and and every every scenario guide has to have Leipzig in it because that's aspirational. <laughs> no, it, and I think oh, that's yeah, why no, they, you're right. That's yeah. why they put it in. There are three aspirational battles: Borodino, Leipzig, and Waterloo. Yes, and so you have <laughs> to have one of those in your scenario book, and one of them's playable. <laughs> I, I'm not sure you got. I, I might take the over on. I might take the under on that. But. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, gents, thank you all. You, you've you've graced uh, our modest uh, podcast with uh, with a lot of expertise and and uh, insight. And James and I are very very grateful to you. Yes. And, uh, we'll, thanks, eh? Yeah, thanks, eh? You guys are awesome. Um, well, my pleasure. Yeah. My thanks pleasure. for having us. That was great. Absolutely, truly really was. So we're back for what is basically part two of the podcast. We had our interview with uh, our distinguished guests on. The proliferation of Napoleonic rules last Friday night. It's now yeah. Wednesday night of the week following. That was a great. Uh, that was a great discussion, James. It was super. It lively. was. It was. I think we got to some some interesting point. I, I think we kind of answered why there's so many Napoleonic rules. <laughs> yeah. I think. Well, I, I thought know. I thought Don's answer just sort of phobias was um, was uh, yeah. was spot on. Um, and I don't know how many times you listen to uh, uh, or you read about people when they say, well, why do you why do you have your own roles? Why did you write these roles? And they'll often say, well, I didn't like all the other roles. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that's why I wrote my Ancients rules. Yeah. Yeah. Because at the time, I didn't like what was out there. It was, you know, if you, you either played DBEM or DBA or Tactica. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like, huh. Well, and we could have had that discussion easily about Ancients. So, anyway. Uh, yes, it was, a, it was a good discussion, and we do look forward to your comments. Uh, when we're once again, we're very, very thankful to our guests, Don Perrin, Tom Castanos, Glenn Holmes, and uh, Jim Ozarski for being part of our uh, 
our panel of Gronyards. Thanks, guys. That was great. And Glenn Pierce. Yeah, Glenn. Sorry, Glenn you Pierce. Said Glenn Holmes. I did say Glenn Holmes. Glenn Pierce. Yeah. Thank you, guys. You know, the mind is the first to go as you get older. Oh, I'm bad. I am terrible with names. That's it's a good thing I'm not in sales because <laughs> I would, you know, very important client. I would fuck their name up. Yeah, I have to say, as a minister, it's uh, yeah. I often just sort of smile at people and say hello lovely to see you yeah hi you yeah. how's it going yes lovely yeah. to see you yes welcome yes anyway um <laughs> let's do a little bit of housekeeping i just thought i would uh keep you up to date with our stats so with 16 episodes Ooh, stats stats yeah so with 16 episodes of the canadian wargamer podcast in the can uh, we are up to on podbean which is where I get most of my stats from. We're up to f almost 45, let's call it 45, 49 downloads. So we're, we're ticking in on 5,000 downloads. Now I have no idea how many of those are actually translated into people listening. Some of them may have just sort of erased their hard drive as soon as they heard us start to talk. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and we have 104 people following us on Podbean. So thank you, everybody. Yay! And then I went over to Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts tells me we have 60 followers following us on Apple and 642 plays. So, you know, that's that's not bad for, you know, to... Uh, so, like, 5,500 yeah. plays slash downloads. That's not bad for 16 episodes. Two guys nattering in their basement. Yeah. So those are our stats, and uh, that's encouraging. Thank you to everybody who listened. And once again... Should I try yelling at clouds just to try... Yeah, you could yell at clouds and it would be saved to the cloud. Viewers? How's that? Yeah. Yeah. I got I don't know. Give me give me some some hot wargaming topic to get all angry about. And I can shake oh. my fist and 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 have these hot hard takes and you know, and then people can be very angry and, and write back and you know. Because well, that I, seems to be what happens. you know, that seems to be what drives clicks. I think so. Yeah. Right. Okay. Is is just controversial. You know, people spouting off about something when really the simple answer is, dude, if you don't like it, don't play it. Yeah. Yeah. But I have these woke people with their agenda ruining my game. It's like it's not your game. Not your game. Play it however the heck you want, dog. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So James Trimber, we talked about our uh, prize draw and yes. Couple of we a couple of episodes ago, I had. I'm just going to hold these up to the camera for whoever's watching. We have these yes. two very very handsome uh, Bob Merch Cossack figures. They are suitable for, uh, I guess, anywhere from 1600 to 1800. Probably. They look like they look like two guys who would probably you know be shooting at uh, stragglers from the retreat to Moscow, or uh, werewolves, or werewolves. Silver bayonets, all the rage. Holy, absolutely, yeah. And it is Bob Merch. It is Bob Merch. You could do whatever you want with them, folks. Anyway, we said that we would give you a set uh, if you wrote in and uh, if you just said, hey, we're, I'm listening to your podcast. I like it. Um, you know, something like that. And I kind of thought we'd get crickets, but I went through the last uh, two episodes because this has been mm -hmm. running for two episodes. I went through everybody who might have left a comment on Podbean, anybody who might have left a comment on our Facebook page, anybody who might have left a comment on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got eight people. Eight people. Woo! Eight people. Yeah, yeah. Yay! You know what? Eight people love of... us or like us or eight people 
people want a chance at free figures is what it is. Well, exactly. You know, was what? one of them Pete Garnum? No, one of them was not really. Pete. No, no, huh. figures, no figures for Pete He is he is usually a sucker for any kind of draw for free figures. I just think he doesn't like listening to us. That could be. You know what? I just realized I didn't quite double check uh, YouTube, so I'm going to uh, just do that really, really quickly. And uh, so there's actually another comment that I I didn't pay attention to. And then so we have nine people. We have nine people. We have nine people. We have nine people. So originally I thought we had eight, and that was going to make it really easy because I was just going to ask you to roll an eight-sided dice. So well, this is you know uh, what? What? I'll roll a d10. Have you got a ten? Oh. Zero won't count. Okay, so you don't have a nine-sided dice. Um, no. Okay. No. Right. Uh, oddly enough, maybe you with that 3D printer, you could come up with one. <laughs> That'd be some neat geometry, though. I'd have to download uh, Tinkercad and then just spend like three weeks beating my head against it. Um, So, folks, this is what we call in the business uh, double encryption. So I have the list of names, and James has the the dice. And he's even wearing his apron. Here is the ten-sided die. Okay, folks, so just examine the dice very closely. It's perfectly legit. Yeah, all right. So now James is going to roll it. Go ahead, James. I'm going to grab a box that you, I think, gave some, gave me some 3D prints in. Hurrah! This is so exciting. And so exciting. Oh, Ten. Oh. <laughs> well, folks, there's no prize. Sorry, the figures. Are- <laughs> okay. Thanks for playing. Okay, re-roll. Re-roll. Fuck off. Get the new dice. Oh, for God's sake. another ten. For God's sake, James, we don't have time for this. People have things to do. People have things to do? Well, apparently not if you're listening to us. Oh, there's that. Okay. Yeah. Here we go. This is embarrassing. We have another nice old school D10 where I had to color in the numbers. I remember doing that. I stole my mother's nail polish to do that. Number six. Number six. Uh, Number six. The prize goes to Sean Hudson or Hudson, H-U-T-S-O-N. Sean, you left us a comment on Facebook, so uh, I will send you a message in the morning. Congratulations, Sean. Congratulations, Sean, and thank you, everybody, for listening. And, uh, yeah, we'll get your prize out. That'd be great. Three cheers and a tiger. Three cheers and a tiger. And while we're talking about uh, user feedback, I just wanted to share with our listeners a lovely little letter that we got from a guy called Richard. Yeah. Well, we got uh, this lovely email about a month ago from a fellow called Richard Goiter. And Mm -hmm. Richard wrote to us and he said he wanted to drop you a note to let you know how much I'm enjoying the Canadian Wargamer podcast. I stumbled across it around October and are now fully caught up on the backlog and up to date, having just listened to the episode with PY or PJ or PV or HP. Yeah, it's, you know... uh, Sorry, uh, Eve Pierre, um, but that was a great that was a great inter- inter- interview. Uh, Rob Richard goes on to say you have had some great guests with special mention for our mutual friend Pat Galilland from Ottawa. Pat, Boy, Pat, that's right. He says Pat appeared to be the only sober member of your Christmas panel. Yeah, the Canadian content is also fantastic. Although the book recommendations are making my to be read pile disturbingly vertiginous. Wow, extra style points for using the word vertiginous. And there's the, here's well, the you know, to be killed by by when you you trip eating a donut and you're crushed by the pile of books falling on you. Yes, yeah, or they fall in your head during the night because the cat jumps on your bedside table. Yeah, 
Uh, Richard writes, and this is my favorite part, it is the presenting style of you both, which I can only describe as quintessentially Canadian, which makes it such a pleasure to listen to. Listening oh, to... <laughs> that's just great, eh? Yeah, eh? Wow. That's like, he likes me better, eh? Listening to your... Oh, get off, you hoser. Oh, you're a hoser. Listening to your well-informed, gentle bickering is a delight. <laughs> We're well-informed? We Apparently, we give that impression. Richard says... Yeah, I... we fake it. I know I will never be allowed on. I have one of those annoying English accents, but if you're bored, you can see how I deal with the wargaming affliction at myyearwithcharles.blogspot.com. And I would not nominate Glenn Pierce as a guest. He is full of knowledge and opinions on the hobby. Well, Richard, since you wrote that, Glenn actually, Glenn Pierce, not Glenn Holmes, did appear on the podcast. But uh, Richard, we're just so delighted that you listened and you sent us that very, very gracious email. So thanks so much. And and when when we when we said early in episode one about you know English accents, we're more just talking about you know a lot of the podcasts are the British perspective, mm -hmm. and so we're trying to add something to that. But also with Canadian gamers, you know, like especially in the like the Paul Victorian science fiction colonial thing, people always put on these god awful fake accents you know they're playing they're 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 role-playing a british officer and you're using cockney it's like no no dude dude don't you know or a bad scottish accent or you know irish accent so that's when we say no accent we're not saying no bad fake accents so if we have a guest with an honest accent because that's what they were born with and so that's me saying that, that about that there you go. Yeah. And we did, we did actually, I think, uh, I kind of wish I never said that earlier, but it's not that, mm. you know, it's not that we're, um, we're Anglophobic. It's just that, uh, we feel that there yeah. are a lot of, there are a lot of really, really good podcasts with, you know, British, uh, participants. And we, that doesn't mean that we're not at some point going to talk to somebody from across the UK. If we can get over the, um, time difference, the time difference. Yeah. And that kind of sucks. Yeah. So anyway, that's our that's our housekeeping. And uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, our contact information is found in the notes at the bottom of each podcast on Podbean. Just uh, look at the, the long string of text and there's lots of stuff. There's links to things we've talked about in each episode. There are uh, uh, clever quips and there is contact information. So we now go to the Canadian Content Corner. Okay. Cue the music. Well, that is, of course, the Maple Leaf Forever, the old national anthem of the Old Dominion. And it marks the start of the Canadian Content Corner. That's the part of the podcast where James and I just have a bit of a natter about Canadian military history, about Canadian gaming, or just general Johnny Canuck stuff that makes us darn proud to have maple syrup coursing through our veins. And so as the Maple Leaf Forever, played by Her Majesty's Irish Guards, dies away, here is the Canadian Content Corner. Well, in this uh, in this Canadian content corner, I confess where the cupboard is a little thin, 
Uh, well, we had we just had Larday too. We did have Larday too. That was pretty. It was pretty Canadian. That was yeah. It's pretty Canadian and a lot of content. A lot of content. Well, maybe let's talk about Larday too. It was a good time. Yep. Yep. The name, of course, comes from Lard A, which is a reference to that particular Canadian um, speech pattern that uh, some of us use and some of us don't use. Some of us think it's a bit of a myth, like oot and a boot. Our American, yeah. American friends, we think we are always going oot and a boot. I'm not quite <laughs> sure that's true, but... Yeah, I've never heard anyone actually say that. Not really, no. Like, I'm not going oot. Every Canadian I know says out. Out. And they put it on their boots. Yeah. I'm oot of Agrax Earthshade. Oh, what am I going to do about that? I'll have to. Well, you can go to Michael's and buy some CPO ink instead. Just throwing that out there. This is what I use. That's right. I'll have to go oot to Michael's, eh? Yeah. So, Larde, we, there you go. Yeah. A little product from James. Uh, So, Larde, we talked about uh, the run up to that uh, with Chris Robinson. I guess the thing that I'm most excited about is that we, um, over the course of a day, we raised over $400 for the local Hamilton University Children's Hospital in McMaster. That's pretty good. There's only like 25 people in the room. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know what, with Barnaby Orr uh, flogging uh, raffle tickets and saying he was going to beat people up if they didn't buy a set, you know. I bought all I could afford. I just, yeah. Oh, we really got to get Barnaby on because... He's such a character. Yeah, there would be our there would be our British content. That our would British be, voice because he's an expat. That would be a genuine British accent for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I always tease him when he's you know he's playing infamy, infamy, playing the British against the Romans, and he had this little unit of slingers. You know, they're just trousers and tattoos and attitude and running across and they're throwing rocks and, and insults at the, at the Romans. And I said, Oh, is does that remind you of a Saturday night when you're young? And he said, well, they've got too many clothes on. <laughs> like, huh. You were obviously a much more, you were obviously a much livelier person than me in my youth. Yeah. I was a pretty quiet kid. Anyway. So yeah, Larde, it was great. Yep. Well organized. Um, except for trying to get in and out of, in and out of Hamilton. That was hellish. Uh, intersections are very badly signed, you know. Having a having a major street closed off didn't help. Yeah, but I eventually got. I eventually used my use my land navigation skills to uh, get home. I just asked my car GPS to help me. I said, "Help me, GPS, help me." You I might- don't trust GPS because it always cuts out right when I need it, and also my phone doesn't talk to me anymore. Oh well, no. I don't know. I made it mad or something, and and now I. You know, when I say "give me directions," it, it doesn't like it used to speak, right? And 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 now it it doesn't. It, I don't know I played with the settings and stuff, but anyway, maybe you forgot the, the anniversary date when you bought the phone, and it's just you know that could be, yeah, that could be, it could be. I'm just gonna I, next time. I'm just gonna make. I'm just gonna do a map recce and write myself a trip ticket and tape it to the dashboard. There you go. Exactly. Old school. Mm-hmm. Go yeah, go old school. So, but anyway, yeah, Larday was a good time. Uh, well, you know, since we have the Battle of Waterloo uh, coming up, and we were talking about Napoleonic rules this episode, mm-hmm. um, I played a really lovely game of Sharp Practice. Uh, set, I, I don't know, does the War of eighteen twelve count as Napoleonic? It has to. Yeah, it has to. Uh, Roger Chrysler. That's right. Yeah. You, hey, good for me. Um, yes, by the way, hey Roger. 
Hi, Roger. Yeah, lovely game. Uh, really fun scenario. I don't know if it was historical or not. Um, I think so. I think I read about the Battle of Frenchtown. Roger was telling me that he has uh, a family history of from the War of 1812. His family's been oh. in Southern Ontario for a long time, and he's done a lot of research on it, so I would trust okay. him. Cool. We should have him on. Yeah, we should. Um, yeah. You know, it was it was great that it was a uh, my my team won. Yay. Yay. That was that was fun. And then um after after lunch when we you know we visited that great old school hobby shop, the likes of which I haven't seen since my youth. Yeah, what was the name of that place? Hamilton Hobby Center. Hamilton Hobby Center, yeah, on Kenilworth, way in the East End. Yeah. I will yeah, at deep, deepest, darkest downtown East End Hamilton. East End Hamilton, yeah. It, it's, it's pretty, it's kind, it's kind of scary even in broad daylight, but it's a great store. The guy behind the counter looked like a young Arnold Schwarzenegger, so I, I don't think he took any crap from. No, but it was yeah, just pat jam packed full of models, right, floor to ceiling, and all yeah, kinds of goodies. Dream, lots of hat figures, lots of one forty eight. 172nd scale tanks and stuff it was amazing yeah i i i had i had to re- work really hard to talk myself out of buying a um one seven hundred scale aircraft carrier for my bag the hun stuff that just would have been really super cool but also 50 bucks you could use so. it as a jump off point like literally or yeah that's right <laughs> wow. player rate of some sort yeah but, you know, and then after lunch, I played this really great game of General Darmy. Oh, yes, I remember that game. The Game Master was especially uh, handsome and youthful and well-dressed. Yeah. Oh, he's a spitting image of of, uh, of, of General Mack. <laughs> Thomas, if you're listening, that was a great comment. Yeah, um, some, some bewildered old guy with white hair wondering, why is everything going wrong? Yeah. <laughs> no, well done you. That was, that was a good, like, for your... For your debut as a game master in a convention setting, that was very good. Um, yeah, it was a fun game. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those games historically where uh, it seems to have been totally one-sided. Um, but uh, I thought that uh, you and uh, Thor, your your colleague, you know, had a look at the scenario and you, you realized that the only key to success was being totally aggressive. And yeah, good on you guys. Uh, so yeah, I would try General Darmy again. I thought it was funny in the first half of the comments that... Um, uh, Jim Ozarski said he didn't care for it, whereas uh, the two players who were playing the French, when I was chatting with them about rules, said they much preferred it to um, uh, Sam Mustafa's uh, LaSalle rules. So, you know, hmm. or, horses for courses, I guess. But yeah, it's it's what you you know it's what you want out of a game. There there's a bit of a learning curve because um, Dave Brown has kind of an odd writing style, which mm-hmm. is unfortunate. Because yeah. there's a re- there's a really good game in there with you know the the handling your you know allocating your aid to camps to try and make things happen and all that good stuff. Um, yeah. yeah. But once you like you know, I watched the I watched the videos on Lard TV and um, I was like oh okay that's what we're doing wrong huh. and yeah it made made a lot more sense. Yeah, I'm going to stick with those rules for a while. I think I think uh, General Darmé and LaSalle are my and Blucher are going to be my three go-to roles for a while. Well, I have to stick with General Darmé because that's a Scott plays. Mm. Yeah. So you know, and we don't get together often enough to to to. I, I really envy these groups that can meet regularly and try to different rules and and play around with the you know we like these rules for this sort of thing and those rules for that kind of game and whereas like my main napoleonic opponent scott like we see each other 
two, three times a year. Trying to learn a new set of rules all the time is it's not going to be a recipe for success. So I think we'll just, you know, we'll learn, we'll learn general Darmy because it gives a pretty good game. I think it's, it simulates the important things and abstracts the things that aren't, uh, which is what I'm looking for. And um, yeah, and we'll be happy. There you go. I thought for the rest of the day, I had a really, I was pleased to see that uh, Sean Malcolmson brought back his uh, infamy, infamy rules. And mm-hmm. I find myself thinking I should really have a look at those because the uh, the Foundry uh, Jubilee sale, uh, I found it was irresistible. I'm a sucker for Foundry. I like their figures. They're so, pretty. I ordered a, a whack of their uh, Germanic warriors to augment my Victrix plastic ones. I have a bunch of Ro- Victrix uh, Roman auxilia because you told me get auxilia, don't get early Imperials because the auxilia did most of the fighting. Yep. Um, and I have some Roman cavalry, and um, I'm thinking probably infamy, infamy would be the way to put all of that together. So yeah, yeah, yeah that'd be that'd be um, yeah. You probably got a you probably got like. 10 times as much Germans as you need for infamy, infamy, but. Well, that's probably the, uh, what the Romans said at the Tudorberger vault before they all died. Is it that you, no, there's enough Germans. Stop. You, yeah, that's right. The, 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 the army list says. Enough with the Germans. Yeah. 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 So thanks to uh, Chris Robinson and Barnaby Orr for showing the, uh, the spirit of the, I don't want to say the Canadian lard community, although we did have folks, we'd have one folks, uh, one guy coming from out of province. I never got a chance to talk to him. Yeah, we came from Calgary. Yeah, yeah. But it was really, for the most part, people in the Ontario area. And if you are in another part of Canada and you have a a lard community that's uh, thriving, uh, let us know about it. We want to hear about it. But very, very pleased at uh, the enthusiasm for uh, the two fat lardies games on this side side of the pond. Yeah. It's kind of neat how I know that it, it has kind of created a, a community, you know, which really only rivals like I don't know, like you know the forty k community. Yeah, that's kind of it. Yeah, yeah. You know? So just a couple other things we're going to note before we wrap up uh, the Canadian content corner. This is obviously uh, today's. We're recording this is June eighth. So people who uh, are you know keen about Canadian military history of course are thinking about the events immediately following uh, the D-Day landings on Juneau Beach. Uh, our friend Brad, Brad uh, St. Croix from On the State in Canadian History, Canadian Military History, his channel has some great interviews uh, this week with uh, people who are very very knowledgeable about um, the Normandy campaign and the Canadian contributions. So Dr. Mark Milner, is one and i was listening to one the other day where he was talking to uh, a fellow whose family history led him to research the regina rifles oh and their role in the the juno beach landings and afterwards yeah they're one of the regiments in uh in three division right yeah that's right yeah i think they were i can't remember if they were which which of the brigades they were in but they were uh, they were one of the first uh, regiments ashore so Brad, well done on everything you do for uh, for Canadian military history, and I'll put a link to your your stuff in the podcast notes. And then the folks from uh, Wilfrid Laurier University, from what used to be called the Center for Military and Disarmament Studies, and is now called Center for Canadian Studies, I think I'll have to get that right in the notes. But they are reviving their uh, Maple Leaf Root webinar series from last year, and they have some great content on. Uh, uh, not just on Normandy, but on the whole Canadian military experience in the Second World War. So I'll put a link to that up as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the Canadian Content Corner for this episode.
So, in the last little bit, James, when's the last time you were part of a um, War Games campaign that you actually enjoyed? A War Games campaign? Well, I mean, we did kind of do a little bit with, I guess the last time was when you were at University of Waterloo, half mm -hmm. an hour away. Yep. And we played a bit of a Longstreet campaign. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's the last actual campaign I was in. That's right. We carried, we carried the three uh, formations over for two or three battles. Yeah. Yeah. There were some really easy rules in, uh, in Sam's Longstreet rules to do that. That's right. Yeah. And that was probably pretty simple, kind of like uh, just an excuse to link a bunch of battles together. They don't always go well. I could tell long and sad stories of campaigns where people actually got really, really huffy and shirty with each other. And yeah. Friendships broke up and oof. Yeah. yeah. It's like uh, a bad game of diplomacy. Oh my God, Diplomacy. I actually have a, an original copy of Diplomacy. And you know what? It's hard to find people to play it because it's it, one of those games where you have to like stab somebody in the face. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's got a really bad rep for, yeah, ruining friendships because, you know, that's how you win is you, when the, at the critical point, you betray your ally, you know, your friend that you, that was counting on you. And now you're suddenly, he's like, why are you invading me? That's why you just play it online with strangers, because then you don't care. So the reason I'm asking about this is because uh, I got an email from Pen and Sword the other day about a, an order that I had totally forgotten. And I thought, Pen and Sword, what did I order from Pen and Sword? And then I remembered that a year and a half ago, I had ordered Henry Hyde's uh, sequel to the Wargaming Compendium. Mm -hmm. His much-anticipated book on Wargaming Campaigns, his guide to Wargaming Campaigns. And it just so happens that Henry was online very recently talking with our friend Jay Arnold, the veteran Wargamer. They had a really, really great conversation about the contents of the book and why Henry wrote it and why it took, you know, almost two years for the book to see the light of the day. It's all fascinating. So I am looking forward to getting my dirty hands on that book eventually. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I've, I've, I've warned Elizabeth. Elizabeth, that it's coming and that I paid for it two years ago. So, you know, when this big book shows up in the mail, that doesn't come out of this year's gaming expenditures. You, she can't get mad at you for uh, for ordering that. There you go. Yeah. She's always like, you've been spending a lot on PayPal. It's like, oh, I haven't been spending nearly as much as I want to. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I go to the Conqueror. I, I go to the Conqueror Miniatures website and just drool over their dwarves. Mm. regularly like <laughs> the computer knows where i want to go it's just one of the you know you click on the the url bar and it's just one of the things that you, you want to go here right it's like probably yeah uh-huh uh-huh yeah let's go look at dwarves <laughs> every year this year the project will be dwarves and it's like oh, no i got ships oh well <laughs> it, it it the computer is your enabler uh, oh definitely yeah Henry asked some really good questions in this discussion with uh, Jay um, uh, that are really important. I think one of the questions was, you know, like, what do you want to do? You want to run a campaign? Well, who doesn't want to run a campaign? Because they add sauce to the wargaming experience. They make, you know, the random encounters that much more interesting because yeah. you've got, you know, some kind of psychic skin in the game, right? You, yeah. you, you want to either capture the fictitious city that is part of the campaign map or you just want to you know you want to have more experience and level up your regiment so that the next time you face your opponent you'll whose regiments will be you know depleted by your brilliant tactics then you'll have a, a much happier second battle or third battle or whatever yeah you know and and like you know napoleon 
you're not just going to chuck the guard in because, well, it's 1130 in the last turn. Yeah. Because eh, you you can't replace those guys. No. Nope. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yep. I guess the, the Waterloo was the end of the campaign for Napoleon. That's for sure. Yeah, no right. More, no more campaign games for you, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. And Henry makes a really good point about, you know, figuring out, figure out what you want to do. Is this, you know, how complex do you want it to be? But also, what is the appetite of your players for it? I mean, do you have players who might occasionally answer the odd email and, and uh, with way less enthusiasm and way less detail than you, the referee, are hoping for? Or are you just offering a kind of a back-of-the-envelope back um, kind of experience, but you have players who are like, no, I'm super interested to know how many transport wagons I have. And yeah, uh, so match your expectations with that of the players, and don't don't have false expectations on either side. And then I think you know, is it sustainable? So those are all really really good questions. I think some of the most interesting blogs that I've seen are are kind of solo campaigns, really. Yeah, there's a, there's a guy in the UK called who calls himself Grimach, G R Y M A U C H. Yeah, uh, who has a blog. Blog. Yeah, and it's a nice blog, and he. He has three or four campaigns going at any given time. One was uh, the uh, Claudian invasion of Britain, I think. And, uh, you know, he, in his interview with, um, you know, Sean from um, Gods on Scale, uh, which I heard a long time ago, he says, you know, I, I just have hearing problems. I if, To be in a room with other gamers is intolerable to me. Yeah. And so I just play I just play solo because it works for me. Yeah, and he yeah put, good on you. It's a lot of thought into it. So... Um, yeah, good that he found a solution that works for him. Yeah, and his blog, I think, becomes an extended narrative about an imaginary campaign. So, um, well, and I, I remember from the old Don Featherstone War Games campaigns book, um, where he, you know, all kinds of great mechanisms like you know using matchboxes right. to do hidden hidden movement for to to play solo, right, mm -hmm. and you know things like that, and. Um, and he and he talks about you know keeping a campaign diary, right? You know, so you have this lovely record of your glorious campaign to you know look back on, and and you know now I think now blogs have kind of taken that, um, they've taken that role, mm -hmm. for sure. Like I, I use my blog as a, basically as a as a gaming diary. Other people can read it. But I will go back and go, you know, what did I do in this game? Or or how did I paint those guys? You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and that's where the, the blog does, I think, excels over, um, um, you know, like social media. Yeah, exactly. Uh, every now and then I, I haul out this book. Uh, this is Bruce Quarry's uh, Napoleonic Campaigns in Miniature. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's absolutely fascinating. He talks about, um, you know, uh, lines of communication and supply. And I think uh, the Empire Rules had a campaign supplement as well, where you could think mm -hmm. about that sort of thing. He talks about organization, recruit training, medical. Yeah, he gets, very, he gets very crunchy, like, into this is how much it costs to recruit a musketeer. Yeah, yeah. And, and equip him. And, you know, I think that might work if you were, you know, I don't know. I don't want to say stuck on a desert island, but if you if you had a lot of time and a lot of imagination and you wanted to maybe create like a fictitious minor German state, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, kind of like your um, 
Borderia and uh, Mantovia only in the Napoleonic period. Yes. Well, you know, I've, I've thought about that too. Um, yeah. I thought long and hard about what, what Mantovia, obviously they're in the Confederation of the Rhine. Right. Right. You know, and I think, I think that crested helmets like the, like, you know, the Bavarians and Baden troops. Of course. And uh, caissons that look suspiciously, suspiciously like uh, the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. <laughs> the Verstwagen, yes. Verstwagen. I need to get. I need to get one for my Bavarians. You do, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, everybody needs horse artillery, right? Yeah, yeah, and you need it in the Verstwagen. Yeah. <laughs> I have to laugh at my own jokes. Thrones. So, Henry Hyde's campaign books. We are looking forward to. Uh, we're looking forward to that. If you have an experience uh, with a campaign that uh, you want to talk to us about, we'd love to hear about it. So let us know. So we're getting to the winding down stage, and I thought uh, we would maybe just finish by talking about what we are working on. And I see you painting mm -hmm. uh, assiduously as we talk. You're painting yep. um, Prussian transport. I am. I am painting my Prussian artillery uh, train. As you can see, there are the gunners. They're okay. they're, they're done. I just got to check them for 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 errors. Right. And we've got. Two um, two six pounders and a uh, and a howitzer, mm -hmm. and then a limber mm -hmm. and an MDF caisson. Yeah, yeah, that's the one you were telling me about. You got the great service from war bases, right? For that caisson. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And and uh, the Perry the Perry limber, you, you can only get a six horse team. So I basically took two horses off the limber team and I put it on the MDF caisson. Mm -hmm. so. That's my um, that's my, my frugal uh, thing for the night. Although I think I've totally messed up which horses go where because yeah, whatever. All that leather on them isn't the same, and I think it's important which goes where. You know, mm -hmm. like it designates one horse as the you know one pair is the lead horses and other pairs not. This is the thing where I think about history sometimes, and I'm just amazed at how much expertise has walked around armies over the century. So like our friend Don Perrin, who trained as a, a Remy officer, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, how to repair tanks and mechanical systems on the battlefield. His his uh, historical equivalent from the Napoleonic period would have been some guy who knew how to how to harness, you know, a 16 horse to a limber, how to fix the limber on the battlefield, you know, how to how to yep. fix the strapping, uh, the harnesses. I mean, People walk around knowing how to do that stuff. Oh yeah, you had you had your leather workers, you had your smiths, you had your carpenters and woodworkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and these were all yeah, they these were all very highly skilled tradesmen that weren't they weren't shoved into the firing line unless they absolutely needed to. You know, it's I'm just fascinated by this idea of um, you know equivalents, like historical equivalents, right? So I have a book that I'm in my stack of books to read that, uh, from a guy I knew. When I was doing my my military paid graduate studies, this is a guy called Arthur Gullickson, who was a he was an officer in the Royal Canadian Regiment, who's now teaching at Royal Military College. And this oh, book yeah. is uh, his doctoral thesis, which was about. Give us the title for our uh, listeners called, on the radio. It's called "An Army of Never Ending Strength: Reinforcing the Canadians in Northwest Europe, 1944-45." Mm. And he basically talks about. Um, you know how the Canadian Army reinforced itself. So uh, logistics, its administration, its workshops, it's uh, similar to that book that I was talking about last episode about training NCOs, right? 
Yeah. For his research, I remember Arthur telling me that he looked at the records, things like uh, workshop companies that were servicing, you know, Canadian tanks and putting them back into the line, right? And how they compared to their German equivalents. Well, spoiler alert, they did much better because they weren't being bombed all the time and they weren't having to retreat. That helps a lot. That helps, yeah. And the fact that uh, the Germans often retreated and left their vehicles, their damaged vehicles on the battlefield, whereas Canadians usually, Allied armies, owned the battlefield at the end of the day and could recover them. So, Yep, logistics, um, it's important. Yeah, two hundred go 200 years back and there's like a bunch of guys walking around a Napoleonic wagon park uh, going, you know, can we fix that caisson? Yes, no. Can we take that wheel and put it on that caisson? Can we? Yep, yeah, there totally would be. That's and you get, some, sure. you get some officer saying, I need this done by, you know, sunrise and make it happen. Yeah. yeah. It's astonishing. Good on you. Speaking of wheel things, I don't have any pictures to show, but I am just finishing off tonight. I'm finishing off three 15 millimeter chariots. I think I put something mm. on social media about that. Um, my ancient's fascination is uh, <laughs> pretty lively right now. So I've just finished, um, just finished really a DBA got... early Hebrew army. Hmm. Well, I say they're early Hebrew. They're really just a bunch of guys in loincloths and bushy beards and pointy sticks <laughs> and uh, shields of various descriptions running around. But Shields of various descriptions. Yeah, some are round, is- some are square. I wonder if that's an actual like acronym in, in uh, WRG world. Shields of various descriptions. SVDs. SOVDs. Yeah, three ox SVD probably would be the, the yeah. DB equivalent. And then I just got some three Essex uh, miniatures armies, Assyrians, Babylonians, and late Hebrews. And I have to say the Essex figures, the, my first time I've ever seen Essex figures in the wild, oh my goodness, they're tasty. Oh, really? They're, this is your first first encounter with Essex? First encounter with Essex figures. Oh, yeah. sweet summer child. I know, I know. Where have like, I been? I've, I've, I've had all kinds of Essex and passed through my hands. No, I'm... They're, yeah, and, and they're... they're they're definitely, you know, in this in this day and age of twenty four figure unit, you've got twenty four different poses. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're kind of old fashioned for that. Yeah, you, know, you kind of get like two po- maybe two poses, and they tend to be a little on the on the stiff side. But you know, they're good. Like they they do the job. Like you know, and they especially like rank up well for things like DBA. Yeah, yeah, they have mm-hmm. a certain charm to them. And- well, I'm currently finishing a, a 20 mil front rank uh, Prussian Fusilier Regiment. And all of the riflemen, the Fusiliers, they're all in the same pose. They're all in the march mm-hmm. attack pose. Um, there's no two variation. No variation. No. There's no two way. identical drummers, two identical NCOs, two identical standard bearers, two different officers. That's it. Hmm. And, you know, it has a certain old school charm to it. Anyway. And, and at least you're not, you know, when painting armies like that, you know, once you've, you know, painted the same figure a couple of times, it gets a lot easier. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and instead of, you know, oh my God, like every figure is a whole new, how do I approach this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Different uh, surfaces, different challenges in, you know, texturing and shading yeah. and stuff. Yeah. And it occurred to me that going back to campaigns, that having a couple of DBA armies of the same period, like a, say a oh. Hebrew army and a Syrian army or an Assyrian yeah. army, means totally. you've got like a little mini campaign. You've just got you know two or yeah. three laddered battles. You can you can play it out on a you can play it out in a night. Yeah, for sure. And you and I will probably do that at some point. 
and to me, that is the the real strength of DBA. With well, I know I've kind of I've kind of been away from the ancient scene for a long time, but I, I when I was in the when I was in the ancient scene, that strength for DBA wasn't being leveraged enough, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. You know, there were there wasn't enough talk about doing campaigns and. And I, I, I'm just finding that whole the whole DBA uh, introduction to the ancient world to be fascinating because I I think I may have said this last time I repeat myself if you if you don't know the ancient world you know and you don't know for example the difference between a Mede and a Sumerian and an Elamite and you're a little hazy on what order was it was it like Assyria Babylon Persia you right. know the DBA is a great way to sort it all out really quickly, right? You can, like, I'm, fortu- I'm fortunate that I have a, a copy of that WRG Guide to the Ancient World, which I don't have handy right now. I paid, okay. a, I paid a bucket of money for it from a used bookstore in New Zealand because it's been out of print for ages. Yeah. And, you know, you can start l- looking at these armies and saying, okay, so these are the Elamites. Who did the Elamites fight? And, you know, you, you can grab some... Uh, source material and start making sense of it so and then so I, I'm amazed that because I really really never did a course in ancient history and always thought this was all just sort of incomprehensible um, <laughs> you know until I was in Ethiopia two years ago teaching a course uh, to a seminary students on the book of Isaiah and I suddenly realized Isaiah is really uh, besides being a great book of prophecy and religious poetry it's it's a, a military history it tells you all about you know ancient Israel's uh, campaigns against Assyria and uh, their allies and enemies, the Ethiopians, the Egyptians, Syrio-Canaanites, yeah. you know. Um, you, like, I have this idea one day that I'm just going to do a Bible study on the book of Isaiah, and everybody who shows up, all my old church ladies, I'll just give them each an army. Say, okay, <laughs> here's your army, Mrs. Mrs. Smith, here's the Assyrians, Mr. Jones, there's the Babylonians. Pay attention because they're going to go through the rules in 10 minutes and we're going to start fighting. I mean, I don't know. could be fun. Or could could it could cause a one-sided conversation with the bishop. Well, you know, I'm sure the bishop will be all in favor of innovative ways of ministry. That's 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 going to be my story. Well, you know, and yeah, and you, you know, you... You give them up. You give them a powerhouse army like the Assyrians play. My uh, my early Hebrew army has uh, has no mounted uh, troops. It's all uh, light infantry, and I'm really hoping that uh, I roll well on the terrain because uh, if I do, if I'm if I don't have like rough hills and things to hide in and fight from, I'm dead. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. But He's it's so dead. But it's one of those fun armies where you say, okay, it's not a powerhouse army. It's uh, it's like the Ukrainians in the first few days of the Russian invasion, right? It's like how clever, yeah. how clever can you be? So, mm-hmm. There you go. And, um, and you know, it 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 all comes down to the dice too, right? Like, oh yeah. Um, you know, like if if your opponent is rolling badly, then you're gonna do okay. Somebody once said, uh, "How do you win at DBA? You roll more sixes than your opponent." So that is wise advice. It is wise advice. True in most games. Well, my friend, I think that wraps up our uh, our natter for this episode. Well, okay. We will be back in uh, July. We're hoping to have a guest in August who is very knowledgeable about uh, professional military education with Canadian Armed Forces. So we'll have more to say about that soon. That's um, That's something that I'm working on confirming right now. Oh, cool. That'll be exciting. All right. Well, it's a good night for me. And good night for me. 
Thanks very much, everybody, for listening. Uh, please do the, us the, the favor of leaving us a comment wherever you listen to this podcast. And please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Tell us, uh, tell other people about the Canadian Wargamer podcast. It's a labor of love that we do uh, simply because we want to tell stories about uh, the Canadian wargaming scene in a small but um, feisty country. There you go. And if you uh, don't do any of those things, we will send attack beavers to chew on you. So there you go. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.